0: Okay. Good evening, everyone. I'm continuing the series of Pirkei Avot. Uh, so Pirkei Avot has six chapters, and in each chapter there's few Mishnayot. And today we finished exactly three chapters completely. We're starting the fourth one. And uh, Pirkei Avot, for those I see some new faces here, it's, uh, it's a collection, collection of all the wisdom of the sages, of Chazal, of the rabbis. This is information that we received in Mount Sinai 3,320 years ago. They collected everything and they made one Masechet, one chapter in the Gemara, in the Talmud, which is called Masechet Avot. Avot in Hebrew means fathers, which means this is the instructions of our great fathers that passed it on through the generation. And uh, it's a great advice for life in general. Uh, So we're starting the fourth chapter today. Uh, if you remember, the last last lecture I spoke about uh, uh, learning Torah, doing business, making parnasa, making a living, you know, uh, and all these other subjects that the last few Mishnayot of uh, Chapter 3 are speaking about. Today we started with something different, and we're going to define now some of the things about ourselves that, you know, maybe will change our mind a little bit. But this is what it starts uh, Rabbi Shimon Ben Zoma is one of the Chachamim. he wasn't in a level of the rest of the Chachamim. that's why they don't say Rabbi they just say Ben Zoma Omer everything is very very precise if they call him Rav then you know it's an Amora that means the generation after the Tanaim if they say Rabbi that means it's the generation of the Tanaim the one who in the time when they wrote the Mishnah if they say Rabban, that means it was a president, like Rabban Gamliel. So some of the people there are such a high level that you don't call them anything; you just call them with their first name. Nobody calls a rabbi with his first name today. You go to a rabbi that his name is Abraham, and you say, "Hey, Abraham, how are you today?" You don't you don't find it. But in the old days, it was an honor for a rabbi. If he was in such a high level, there was no there was no title for him. Above, like Shlomo Amelech, you just say Shlomo, it's already above everything. Or Rebbe, Rabbi Udana, they just call him Rebbe. Or many other ones that they say just their first name and that's it. So, Ben Zoma says, Who is a wise person? Who is wise? In today, if you ask a person who is wise, they say, Well, he has a degree from Harvard went to, I don't know, a great med- a law school or medical school, or is a brain surgeon, or is an Israeli jet pilot, that's a smart person that's what people would answer according to the Torah, none of the above is correct, let's see what the Torah says, first someone who agreed to learn from every human being, his nose is not all the way up he can learn from his professor, he can learn from his rabbi, he can learn from one little kid that showed him something, and maybe there's something to learn from that kid. From a goy. can learn from a goy. Some of the things we learn from the goyim. There are certain things we learn from the goyim. Some of the things in the Talmud, the Chachamim copy from the Greeks, you know, about astronomy and certain things about math. Apparently, you know, the Greeks were not precise in everything they said, but they had a great wisdom when it came to science. So the Chachamim were arguing with the Greeks. If the Greeks didn't have any wisdom, they wouldn't wait to waste a minute on them. <laughs> I have to make an argument with you. If you, have, if you know a person has no knowledge whatsoever and he wants to debate the chief rabbi, you think the chief rabbi will have time for him? Give me a break. Let's meet in 70 years. After you've, you will learn 1% of what I know, then you come with debate. Chachamim debate then, that means they know. They are not uh, fools. So, if a person always teach, teach, teach Technically, how is he going to learn? When is he going to learn from the questions of his students? Why? Because when your student asks you a hard question It forces you to go and search for the answers You know... Many of the questions I know today is from people who send emails, and they ask complicated questions, and I have to find myself sometimes an hour searching in the books to find the answer for their questions. So it's another one and another one, and you learn a lot thanks to their clever questions. Ezugi Bor, who is a hero? If you ask today, who is a hero? He has a gold medal in boxing, a gold medal in in, in, in uh, I don't know in What? what? Give me an idea. Like in the Olympics, you know, fighting, uh, karate, you know, somebody who can lift 400 pounds, that's a kibor, that's a hero, right? That's not what the Torah says. The Torah says a real hero is a person who can overcome his desires, not getting rid of his desire because it's impossible, the desire is a part of nature, but controlling his desires. When there's an opportunity to make a scene with a woman, he controls himself. When there's an opportunity to steal a lot and nobody will catch you, he can still control himself. When there's food that is not uh, not 100% kosher, everybody's stressing. he controls himself. He controls what he looks at. He controls in hours of learning. He controls of what he talks. He controls of his anger. He controls of so many different things. It's very hard to find people like this. People are controlled by their desires Once in the blue moon You find a person that controls his desires He is a master of his personality Usually it's the other way around Your negative personality determines where you're going to go How you're going to talk Who you're going to fight with It's all the Yetzirah The evil inclination of the person controlling him Like I remember when I was a teenage My father told me Make sure when you drive your friends in your car, you know, 17, 18, you know, and sometimes drive with your friends, make sure one of your friends never leaves cigarettes in the windshield. You know, a box of cigarettes. I've never smoked in my life, not, not even one try. You know, because uh, if your father emphasizes, he puts the highlight on certain things and he warns the kids about it, usually, usually, not always, but usually it gives the kids fear from touching it if they see that it's very important that the father is constantly repeating it, so the kids say, oh, if my father is saying it all the time, that means it's really, really bad. Other things, maybe it's bad, maybe not, but this, my father always said, be careful, never touch cigarette, be careful, be careful. I didn't want to even, until today, but the the idea was, make sure that your friends never leave it in a car. I said, why, what cigarette, how much is that? Two dollars, three dollars? What's going on? He said, "No, you don't understand. If a person is after a meal and he needs a cigarette, he will search for the entire world, walking until he finds a cigarette. So if he doesn't find and he sees it inside your car, believe me, even if he's not a thief, he'll break the car, and, and the glass, and take it. <laughs> Why desires? That's a lesson for life. People are controlled by their desires. Then." Oh, now the, the Mishnah gives an example For Mishle King Solomon Mishle 16 Verse 32 If you want to look inside It's right there Translation Better a person with patience Than a hero Than a person that is very well known As his strength Someone who controls his spirit here from a person like a general that occupied the entire city with his army, like Napoleon and Alexandros Mokdon all these great heroes they are puppets compared to someone who controls his anger control his spirit and control his patience he has patience for everyone even if the kid asks 500 times the same question he doesn't lose his temper or if he has a very foolish student and believe me, sometimes it happens and he just doesn't understand and always asks the wrong questions and always says something stupid in the class. But he has to control himself. So, this is a hero. Why? Because it's much harder to correct your traits than to, to be a bodybuilder or all these things that people are doing. Then, Cheney mm-hmm. Oh, as a washir, who, who is a wealthy person. Today you say, well, wealthy, or, welcome to the club, the club of the billionaires. It used to be millionaires. Today a millionaire is nothing. Almost every American is a millionaire. When I mean, real estate went up, every garbage house that was $200,000 became a million dollar. Every American almost became a millionaire. Today everyone is on the way down. But when it happened, then nobody cares if you're a millionaire. You have to be a billionaire. So who is a wealthy guy? You know, a guy that has a house in this neighborhood and in that neighborhood And, uh, you know, so that's what the Torah says Wealthy has to be in your feelings, not in your bank account Many people have a lot of money in the bank account And they sit depressed and miserable every minute of their life Why? They have a thousand apartments and 20 tenants don't pay the rent and they die, they kill, they take pills, they can't sleep at night, they're calling all day to the lawyers why, this guy didn't send the rent, he still didn't answer the phone, hey I have to go to court it kills them. Somebody that works for a company and makes hardly a living and is satisfied with what he has, he's already for years like this, is much richer than somebody that has a lot but is missing in his heart. It's the nature of a person uh, like somebody once told me that he used to drive a big diamond dealer that making fortune every day. <laughs> and when he, when he used to fall asleep a lot in a car. So he had a car, a credit card that he used to put gas in a car. So once in a while he, was, he heard that they are in a gas station. So the rich guy would open his eyes and look and scream from the window, What gas are you putting? So he said, I'm putting super. He said, He's screaming, You fool! How many times I put I told totally you put regular <laughs> The guy is you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and in the end is fighting if it's gonna be two dollars more or three dollars less. This is it. That's what's going on here. Uh it's very interesting, you know, sometimes These rich people, they want to get rid of something. Let's see, the kid has a bike, it's not working anymore so good. They want to buy him a new one. Okay, so the kid is drilling in their head, buy me, buy me. In the end he agreed, no, he has his birthday, he found the Afikoman, finally agreed to buy him a bike. Now, what are they going to do with the old bike? So sometimes they will keep the bike ten years in a garage, (laughs) just out of the... Difficulty to give it to somebody else because if they give it to somebody else, they may call a week later. Can you give it back? These are sick people. There's a lot. So somebody like this is rich. Somebody like this is is worse than a slave in his mentality. Believe me, I know many of those. Many of I told you once the story about there's one woman. He said, "I want I want to donate for CDs." So I said, "Okay, fine. Where are you gonna be in this town?" I told her Thursday. She said, Can you meet with me two minutes, three minutes before election? I say, No problem, yeah. Where do you want to meet? In that place. Okay, so she comes with her car, I come with my car. So now she, she's supposed to write the checks. <laughs> so she wanted to write $52. So as we talk, she tells me about all the problems with this, with her son, with her daughters, with her husband. Maybe 45 minutes, she cries about all the things. Then she said, Do you mind if I give only 36? I said, No, no, no problem. Okay, 36, no problem. Then as we continue to talk, in the end she wrote 18. (laughs) You understand? This is people that may have a lot of money, but they are stingy, and they are the most miserable people on earth. I always tell the girls, when they call me to ask me about advice for shiduchim, you have to be very, very careful from stingy guys. Very, very careful. You find it after one or two dates, because... There's many things that guys can hide Ste- Being stingy, nobody can hide That's a, They cannot control it For instance, if a guy's angry If she gets him angry in the first date He won't scream First date <laughs> I'm going to be a fool, destroyed my date But if she wants to go to a fancy restaurant He won't allow it he won't. He would lose the day, but he won't go Why? It will burn him. Every bite from the steak is going to cry in the table. <laughs> I promise you, there's no way to hide it. Stingy, being stingy, it's a sickness. It's a mental disease. Be very careful. I mean, some of you are singles here, but you got to be very careful from that. Then we continue. Someone who is satisfied is what he is. If he's satisfied with what he has, he's very happy for what he has. Hashem gave him half a million dollars. That's that's his total worth in the United States. cannot even buy a house in a normal neighborhood. But he's very happy with what he has. Even his renting, even if his car is not the best in the world, even if his suit is only a $100 suit, if his watch is $50 watch, but he's happy with what he has, it's very, very good. Sometimes you find people they come from Africa, from Egypt, even from Israel. Life over there, it's much harder than here. It used to be, not anymore. Here it's already becoming horrible. But it used to be that life here used to be fancy and easier. It's easier to make a living, easier to find a job. You go out of law school, $200,000 first year. Those days are over, you know? So the idea was that when they come, they buy an old Buick that an American guy see neglected on the street, he won't take it. You know, like you <laughs> put it somewhere in the neighborhood. Everyone wants to take it. The key is in the ignition. The car is yours. Nobody will take it. But somebody from those countries comes and drives it. <gasps> he's in the moon. He calls his friends in Africa. You're not going to believe. First day in America, I'm driving this old viewing. In America, it's garbage. But for him, he's the happiest guy in the world. You have to understand. Being happy, satisfied with your situation, it also has to do a lot with if you're a jealous person or not. Person that is not jealous is not busy looking what the others have. Most of the suffering that wealthy people have is because what the others have, not what they don't have. What the other have bothers them a lot. I, I gave once an example. If so a person he, he, he was born in an island, let's say his mother somehow landed in an emergency landing in an island and he was a kid and the parents passed away and he grew up in the island, and the parents had one lousy car with him. He never saw any other car in his life. He has one lousy car, that makes a lot of noise, no air condition, it's all broken, whatever you want. He drives around the island. He's the happiest guy in the world. What happened if one day another car landed in that island? and it's smooth and nice with air conditioning. it drives faster, smoother, etc., etc. From this moment on, that guy will begin to suffer from his car. Up to now, it was perfect for him. He never even dreamed about having a great smooth ride. When he saw that somebody else has it, he started to suffer from what he has. Which you see, the suffering that we have is not because of what we have or what we don't have. It all comes from having big eyes, what the others have. Otherwise, you'll be very happy with this car. Another 20 years of driving the island, 100 percent, you feel like the luckiest person on earth. Once he saw what the other guy have, he started to suffer from what he has, and this is a problem. So that's why the Torah say, the only way you feel rich is if you satisfy what you have, and you have, you have to practice on it. And plus, there's another problem here. It comes from faith, emuna. If you have emuna in Hashem, if your level of emuna is very strong, then you know how the world is working. Hashem wants you to have this kind of weight. There's a reason for it. It's not accidental. It's pressing a button. Whatever came out, came out. It's not the the, the numbers in a the lotto that the, the 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 balls coming up and all of a sudden you make it or you lose it. No. Everything is precise Not only how much money you're going to make every year The timing of every dollar is precise The timing Like when Hashem wants you to lose X amount of money this year He finds the right second In the entire year That it will be more productive than others It's not accidental Okay, in October you lose a million dollars No He's going to find it in a time That maybe you did bad things to your family To your wife Or maybe you made a horrible scene That caused poverty so even though it's nothing to do with the sin, because this is a decision of something that happened maybe a few years ago, the timing of the punishment is precise. It's like killing two birds with one stone. That not only you're going to pay for something you did five years ago and you never made tshuva on it, Hashem found it to put it to wake you up at the, at the last recent four or five sins that you made. Before Chas Shalom it would be a lot worse. Everything is precise. So what's the point of being jealous with what the other have. Everyone has his own path in life That's his test, that's my test That's his test, that's his test Everyone has his different test one, or, one of us has to be wealthy One of us has to be poor One of us has to be average One of us has to be up and down all his life There's, there's so many things So this being very, very foolish Jealous what the other people have It's none of my business I have to focus what Hashem gave me That's what He wants me to have If He wants me to have it, fine If He doesn't want to have me just as fine Nothing more, nothing less I have to be happy just as much The little that you make With your efforts You eat it You are the luckiest person on earth Don't look what the others have or don't have You know in another place Chazal says The more properties people have the more real estate The more clothes The more uh, jewelry The more stores The more cars they have It brings much more problems If a person has one car Once in a while He has to take it to the garage To service it Once in a while The air condition doesn't work so He has to take it to the dealer There's some problem There's a manufacturer defect uh, The computer only needs a reset There's a recall But there's only one car So it happens twice a year What happens if you have four cars? It has to happen eight times a year it brings in a lot more problems. What happens if he has 20 apartments? Every week he's going to have to maintain to maintain one of them. This, the light is broken, over here there's a leak, over there that, the tenant over there didn't pay, uh, the lawyer has to start with him before he realizes he has another one. But if he had only one, there's a lot less to worry about. So now you may tell me, eh? but you're only talking about the negative. What about the positive? 20 apartments brings 20 times more income. B'loni. wrong, it's not true the income doesn't come from the apartment the income doesn't come from the business the income doesn't come from what you do and what law school you went to this is all a cover up cover up for the real truth that Hashem takes his hand and puts in a plate of every person Jew, non-Jew, animals everyone in this world Hashem takes the living of that person for this year and gives it to the person however he decides how to break the payments. He can give it to you in one month, every month the same. He can give you one month very good income, and then three months desert, nothing. And then, oh, another big chunk, And big chunk. Or sometimes he gives you a lot and take 90% back. Yes, he's playing with you. But the business is just a cover-up. That's why the Khazanish told one of his students that came to cry that I opened a supermarket across the street. The guy said, "All my business is finished. <laughs> I, now I have a much nicer supermarket across the street, nobody will come to me said, go help him help him to open, give him your suppliers ask him if he needs anything that you can help So I come to cry to you that my life is over and you tell me go help my competitor So the say, if the business would really come from the supermarket then you have a point but uh, the, the, the supermarket is nothing it's a cover Hashem sends you the yes to send you the money He is obligated to support you, to feed you. He still needs you in his test here. You want to test me? You have to give me a place of a test, no? If you want, let's say you want me to work for you, and you want to test me. Don't you have to supply me with a desk and a chair and a pencil and a piece of paper or a computer, questions and answers, right? Light. You have to supply me the atmosphere for the test. Hashem put us here 78 years. He has to supply us the minimum living It's not only because we're righteous we're going to eat. Even the wicked people get the minimum kinds of living. Why? Otherwise they say, oh, you starved me before I was born. I was already starved to death. Where is the test? What do you want me to do? I never had a penny. I never had a bed. I never had food. I never had nothing in my life. You have problems with me? What problems do you have with me? I was like an animal in a desert. I couldn't do anything. It's not the point. The point is that Hashem gives us what He wants us to have and a given moment and it's all cover up the businesses fighting, running, trying. People do have to make their efforts and Hashem say, you know what, you want to make the money through that store? Okay, I'll send it to you through there. That's why someone who opened many, many stores, it's like someone who has a barrel of wine with one faucet. And the faucet is open and the wine is dripping into the glasses and everybody drinks. One day he decides that he wants another store, right? So he makes another faucet to the barrel of wine. So now there's two incomes. Come from here, come from there. But the, bar, the, the barrel have 100 liters of wine for this year. Nothing else. So therefore, if Hashem wanted to send you a million dollars this year, he, he will do it with one store. He doesn't need five. And if it will be a clear miracle. If you have a little grocery, a little grocery doesn't make a million dollars a year net. So Hashem will find it in a different way It doesn't have to be from here Insurance, problems, somebody broke your arm You, you deserve it because of a sin that you made with your hand So because your arm was broken You got $200,000 from the insurance And the next year your in-law liked you very much And they say, you know, we didn't want to tell you But we're really rich It's not what we told you And we have this pension plan for you Here is another $2 million You never know, you never know where anything come from you know, one, one Hasid in Mansi after his wedding, after his marriage, he had like $17,000 gifts from all the wedding. He doesn't speak English, he doesn't know business, he doesn't know anything from his life. He grew up in a close place, all he saw in his life is Rebbe's, Torah, Modesty, being, you know, doing mitzvot. Ah, what does he know about the world? Nothing. Cannot have five minutes conversation with a with a goy about business. Nothing. <laughs> one one broker saw that this guy is very naive. I wanted to fool him to take the seventeen thousand dollars from him. So he told him, "You know, I have a great deal for you. What? You can buy forty acres of lots in about an hour, two hours north from Muncie." So the guy said, 40 acres of land for 17,000? Why, wow, one acre cost a million dollars here. How can it be, says, 40 acres for 17,000? So he told him, yeah, that's the whole point. You know, it's not as expensive, but you know, you're gonna be one day a rich guy. So he took him, he shows him forest, mountains. He said, see, all of this will be yours. All of this, all the way from here, look. All the way to that mountain, it's all yours. Only $17,000. The fool, <laughs> what does he know? He trusted him. He gave him, okay, he bought a property. Then people told him, you're crazy. Just to clean the trees will cost you a million dollars. Just to move the rocks, another million. To make sewer, another million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what did you do? <laughs> say, say, Hashem gave me, Hashem took it from me. What do you want? Uh, that's it. <laughs> a few years later, two three years later, story that happened. You get a phone call, Mr. X, yes, my name is such and such, okay, what is it? We found in a computer that you are the owner of the property over there. So yes, who is speaking? He said, this is a camping, camping, they make camps, they, have, they put places for trucks, for adapters, you know, they charge, caravans. So they had, all the way from the other side of the mountain, now they had, Baruch Hashem in those days business was good, they want to expand all the way to the other side. So they need this whole area. So they said, we want to buy your property. Are you willing to sell? He said, yes. He said, how much? Now this time you live. <laughs> so hold on, I'll tell you. Call me later, I'll let you know. By Right away took a sharp maher, The guy told them if they need it, they'll pay any amount. He checked more or less, he told them a few million dollars, they agreed to the deal. (laughs) This chassid became a millionaire. (laughs) From his stupidity, from his stupidity, he became rich. There there was a shul, this is, (laughs) it's unbelievable. There was a shul, the gabai of the shul didn't even know how to write. Ah, very primitive, very ignorant. But he's a good gabai in shul, he gives aliyot, he cleans the shul, everything is always tissue on every table, everything ready for Shabbat, every day That's in a, One day they replaced the rabbi, the, the old rabbi was old, and no rabbi came So when the rabbi came, he said to the gabai, where is the where is the book? With all the donations and people, what they give to the shul, the expenses of the shul I want to see what's the situ, financial situation here in the shul so he said, what do you mean, a uh, notebook? I don't have a notebook. It's all in my head. I have a box. Whatever they give, I put in the box. Whatever we need, I, I pay and finish. It's all by the box. Right away, they felt something is not right here. The rabbi told him, no, 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 I'm very sorry. You cannot go on like this. We need a notebook. We have to write everything, what's going to be. You cannot. <laughs> what is this, a box? sure, it's like a business. You have to have a... A report? What do you do with the money? What? Tomorrow somebody that gave a donation will come and say, What did you do with my money? What are you gonna say? He say, I'm very sorry, I'm here for 20 years. I never had to do any part nobody ever came and asked questions. The shoot is running, everything is beautiful. In the end he admitted that he doesn't even know how to write. <laughs> so the rabbi told him, Listen, I'm very sorry, we don't need you here anymore. We'll pay you. And one big amount of money, compensation for the years that you were here. He told somebody else, get me a different gabai that knows how to run a notebook. So they fired him. Give him make amount of money, whatever it was. Now he has the money. He doesn't know what to do. He goes to the rabbi. He said, oh, oh, I see 20 years I built a shul, I expanded, I did everything. Now they threw me out, they gave me this money. But I don't know anything to do with this money. So in a few months it's going to be gone. So the rabbi told him, you know the way all the way here from the next town? Yeah, there's no motels on the way. No motels. People always come and tell me that they get stuck on the road, they have to sleep in the forest. Talking more than a hundred years, this story. Why don't you go and build on the way, on on the main road, when all the horses come in with their carriages, make a motel, and everybody knows that in the middle of the way, between this town to the other, there's a motel with a restaurant, kosher restaurant, a place to sleep and you invest all the money there and for sure you have good business so he told him, okay he went, he built a motel, beautiful place with rooms, restaurants, everything and everybody sees, wow, great idea, thank you, Baruch Hashem everyone who passed by, even if he didn't want to sleep just out of curiosity he goes to eat and to sleep there for the night after a year, this guy, business is booming one day the banker Realize it's such a big business And he's not a member of our bank Let's pay him a visit So the banker comes with his bag Nice, beautiful bow tie He comes inside, you see like a farmer Sitting there, running the show He say, how come you're not investing your money by us? You know, we are the main banker in town Oh Hashem, you have such a great business How come we never saw you as a customer? What are you doing with all your money? He say, I have a safe, everything I hide over there yeah, I say, that's not... That's not the right way to do business, the banker said. It's very primitive. So he said to him, okay, listen, this is a great opportunity. You see here, we have where the bank is investing money here, you're going to make 20% on your money. Instead of being in a safe, every year, every five years you double your money. Great, you don't do anything, let us do the business. So he said, okay, no problem. He said, okay, just sign here, how much money you have? He told him, I don't know, 500,000. Sign here. So he said, I don't know how to write <laughs> I can't sign anything I told him, no, it's a bank Why? Without your signatures, nothing I can do for you So he said, I'm sorry, I don't know how to write He said, what do you mean you don't know how to write? He said, you don't know how to write and you run such a business? He said, you think I'm a fool, right? You are a fool! The only reason I have this business Is because I'm a fool <laughs> I don't know how to write if I knew how to write, I'd still be a lousy gabayi in the show for a thousand dollars a month. I only became a millionaire because I don't know how to write, you see? <laughs> That's the idea. People think, I'm going to be a professor from Harvard, I'll be rich. King Solomon wrote, no, my friend. Lo lechem. Wisdom does not bring wealth. Does not, believe me. There's a lot of people, they sell gold, they do things, they sell food. They don't, know, they don't know anything Ask them who was the president of the United States They don't know Who's the prime minister of Israel They don't know Stock market, they never heard of it but Anything you ask them Even to open a bank account They don't know to, to start a computer They don't know But they're very successful Buying and selling jewelry They know very well one thing And from that they make a lot of money So The idea is Who is the rich someone who is satisfied with what he has and is never looking to other people's plate and the last thing in this Mishnah who is a respectable human being right away you may think president an owner of a big company a a great professor a great uh, general in the army that's called Mechubad a great uh, celebrity a rock-and-roll singer, I don't know, in a band, everybody asks for his signature, no? That's not what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah said, Someone who gives respect to others, that's a sign that he himself is a respectable human being. From this we learn that not what we think is the truth, what the Torah says completely the opposite of what we say is. Because what's the connection? Because when you give respect to every person, you never have enemies. Everybody loves you. Some people, no matter who they meet, they talk to in their entire life, they can live 70, 80 years, not one enemy they have. Never. It's impossible to be their enemy. Such nice people. They can never fight. As soon as somebody did something bad to them, right away they run to the side. Okay, no, Rabbi, don't make a big deal out of it. No problem. No, forget it, forget it. No, he's right, he's right. This is their nature. Nobody can hate them. Even people who did bad things to them once, twice, three times, eventually they get embarrassed. How many times I will bury this guy and look at how nice he is to me? In the end, they turn around. The next Mishnah, Ben Azai, Omer, Ben Azai was a rabbi that didn't want to get married. The giant, huge scholar and didn't want to get married so the rabbis told him don't you know that first mitzvah in the Torah is to get married and have kids first mitzvah from the 613 so he said I'm not, I'm not an, a regular person I'm addicted to Torah I cannot live one minute without the Torah Hashkan of Shiba Torah you will take away the Torah for me 10 minutes, I'll drop dead I can't live for real, not uh, making a show how can I have a life with a woman I have time to sit with her and talk to her about the phone bill and how she, she cuts the okra today or the Israeli salad <laughs> or what watermelon to buy when I go to shopping I don't have this, I mean for me it's uh, you kill me, it's not that I don't want I just can't so the Chachamim says right it's an exceptional case but the Chachamim says it's the last one in history after him nobody can copy him your other, Ben Nazai. Ben Nazai was shak'dan. Once he passed away, the Chachamim said nobody ever came and claimed that he was like him. It was one in a million years, somebody like this. Cannot leave the Torah for one minute. You know, I told you once that my cousin asked Rabbi Ben Abba Sha'ul, "Zecher Tzadik livracha. I said, which mitzvah is hard for you to do? You know, he thought maybe he's going to say kamocha. You love your friend like you love yourself. It's very hard mitzvah. So I told him, there's a mitzvah, that you're not allowed to think about the Torah when you're in a bathroom. I don't know how it's possible. <laughs> Which means, every minute that he was up, all his mind was thinking Torah, nothing else. Not vacation, not camp, not uh, mondial, uh, you know, uh, taking the kids here, doing this. Well, this is uh, was out of his life. It was His whole life was just the Torah. I know that people who hears me, they think, ah, these guys are crazy, ah, Torah, Torah, all the time, Torah, ah, this, this is a mental case, what is this? You cannot understand until you're there. If you have one month in your life that you live everything and sit and learn deeply inside, like in Yeshiva with a good uh, teacher, you realize what it, what is mean. until you taste, That's when you realize. If you don't taste, you will never understand. It's like trying to explain to a blind person the color blue. I never saw it. Uh, You know, it looks like green. Okay, what is it green? It's like the sky, the beautiful sky. I don't know what sky is. It's like the ocean in Miami. What's Miami? What's the ocean? What is it? There's no way to explain to him. Try until tomorrow. Try a million years to explain to him blue. He doesn't know what you're talking about. No matter who will try to explain to him, he will never know. But open his eyes for one minute, show him blue and close his eyes to be blind again. Now he understand. That's what we say, one picture is like a thousand words. It can be like a million words sometimes. So Ben Azai says, Don't start comparing the mitzvot. Oh, this mitzvah pays to do, this mitzvah is not for me. Eh? Too much effort, not a lot of reward. This one, very easy, huge reward. True that we're all business people. When it comes to business, everybody asks questions. What stock should I put my money? How much would I make on this one? How much would I make on this one? And he sees where he's going to make more right away. It goes to the higher profit. When it comes to mitzvot, people usually don't think. But in the old days, people used to be very clever. The same thing we are in a business, always comparing where to invest, that's how the people used to be 2,000 years ago. In which mitzvah should I put my efforts? Learning Torah, not only I enjoy, it's the huge reward. Making people religious is even greater. Why? Whatever mitzvah they keep, all their eternity, their children, grandchildren, I benefit from. So I say, talk to him an hour or two, I make him religious, I'm set for life. So that's how people used to think. But he says like this it's true that it's re- in reality you make more profit, but. There are many secrets about the mitzvah that we don't know Hashem didn't tell us all the reward We don't know That's why when a mitzvah looks not so important It's not so urgent Don't think like that Because Hashem never told us the secrets of the reward Also, make sure you always run from the sins When you see a sin, not only don't do it Run away from the place where the sin is being done by someone why? Seeing it is already affecting you negatively. Seeing somebody making a scene, like seeing a, a Jewish kid kissing a Jewish girl on the street, you're not going to do it. You're religious, you keep, you watch yourself, but looking at them even for one second already affecting your soul. Hearing people le- listening to bad goish music, you never play it. But even being around them for one minute, listening to what they listen, affecting you going to your cousin's wedding, you will never marry in a mixed wedding. But you, on the other hand, your parents are putting pressure, come, the whole family is gonna be there, your grandma comes from LA, all the uncles come from Europe, what, you're not gonna show up, you're embarrassing us, this. So they say, okay, I'll come, I'll come for an hour and then I disappear. The hour over there makes a permanent damage. There's nothing you can do against it. You sit there, you listen to what they talk, you see how they kiss each other, they hug, with all the show-off that they come, tons of jewelry and makeup and and five gallons of perfumes. The perfumes is dripping on the floor all over. And then you say, I'm a tzaddik, I'm, I'm in love with Hashem. You know, wow, what a beautiful place, Hashem. You understand? So it's it's just not going to work. That's it. Don't think... I remember one of the things I remember from the autistic kids. They used to say all the time, you cannot live in two different worlds at the same time. You must choose. Every person I took there, right away, started to attack. Which means the religious, the Baalei Tshuva, those who become religious, they don't want so easy to live their previous life. They want to keep one leg over there and one leg in a religious world. Which means, Shabbat, I keep. Fill in, of course. Shul, I go to Shul. I give, Rabbi, come, come to the business every week I give, no problem I even change my clothing I even get rid of my talent, fine But still The old friends Once in a while stop by, sit with them You know He lives in two different worlds It's very difficult for him To live his previous life Many people say to me I became religious But every time I meet my friends They take me down the next day, I feel like I was I stepped, like ten months back. So, uh, am I supposed to leave my old friends, or am I supposed to stay with them because you know the after the rachakamocha I should love your, your friends? So, what's the answer? Absolutely, right away. If you feel that your old friends are not coming towards religion when you are there, when you are with them, or it's the opposite, they drag you to their side. You have to cut your relationship with them immediately. Don't think they're going to get upset. They're going to say what's going on. It's Chilul Hashem. As soon as he became religious, he's not our friends anymore. You have to explain to them in a very nice way. Look, I have a mission in life. Life is short. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Another 10 years, another 20 years, another hour. Who knows? Nobody knows. Since I do not know, I have to assume that it's my last day in life. And I have a lot to do. Sitting with you talking about soccer and basketball and vacations and girls and the clubs that you went last night and what your wife likes, the new bag or the new shoes that came out and that designer and that fool and that things that's going to take, take me away from eternity. That's not a shame. That's fake. This is all fake life. I gotta cut, I have to terminate these things out of my vocabulary. Erase it from my cell phone, erase it from my computer, uh, old magazine, old newspapers, habits that I used to have, I gotta cut it out. This is a sign that I love Hashem, that I'm starting to clean my life day after day, every day something else. It's impossible in one night, impossible, it takes years. But a person has to always move forward. Sometimes people become religious, few months. they're very strong, then after that, they feel, oh, I'm, the, I'm already the, the rabbi. I'm already a rabbi. You know, soon he's going to buy a crown, and he has a 1,000 students following him. And right away, he goes back to his friends and starts everything as usual in the same thing. Or some people say, Rabbi, in business, religious, I'm in my town. Here in my business in Manhattan, it's a zoo. You have to be like them. If you're not going to be a crook like them, you're never going to make business. So, what? so the Torah was only for Monsi. But when you go to Manhattan, you become a zombie. When you go to Monsi, you become a Rebbe. Yeah, two lives. Ah. Rabbi, now we go to vacation. When we are on vacation, I'm folding my beard with a rubber band, you know, and my wife, of course, nobody knows she's Jewish. Because over here, she doesn't need her wig, you know, so she can open up her hair. Nobody knows we're Jewish. I have a baseball hat, and sit in Puerto Rico on the beach. So where is Hashem in the whole picture? Where is Hashem in the whole picture? I just took the kids to swim a little bit now before we came here. You know, summertime. How come we didn't go to camp, they say. What can you do? You have to surrender sometimes. You have to feed the Yetzir here and there. You know, if you starve the evil inclination too much, he explodes. And then it's too bad. You have to feed him a little bit, a little bit. So the guy over there, Tzaddik, a wonderful person, he's telling me about 4th and July weekend. He tells me a name of a place. I never heard about this place. So I asked him, what's in this place? It was packed with people, it was horrible. So many going. so many people, cannot move anywhere. I say to him, what's that place? It's not a park, <laughs> where a religious guy finally wants to go maybe a park. He told me it's a beach my words didn't come out they went to a beach people, religious people go to a beach yeah, and you know that if, if a goy comes with a sword to a Jewish man and he say I'm killing you unless if you walk on the beach when all the women walk there millions of women the way they dress in the beach I kill you or you walk there with your yarmulke like this in the street or your beard or whatever, he has to die and not to agree to go to the beach. The people go, they pay money to go to the beach. A beach? The, the says, that's the problem, the religious people, they don't have any guideline, nobody shows them the way, they don't learn, they don't know anything, they know you have to, you're not allowed to light fire on Shabbat. That's all they know. There may be a few other things, but they don't understand what religion is, what Hashem is, what holiness is all these problems. So the Gemara say man has two ways to go to his destination. One is a shortcut full of women. Not women like on the beach today! Women that are covered from head to toe, 2000 years ago. a 100 years ago you never saw a woman dressed like today, never, in the whole world. This is 2000 years ago they cover from head to toe the women. You know? So they wanted to describe a prostitute. It was a woman that lifted her skirt to her knee. That's it. Her life is over. That's what it was. So they said there's a shortcut with some of these girls, and there's a much longer way with no women. He went through the shortcut and did not look at any of the ladies. What a hero. Go through hundreds of ladies in a shortcut. Let's see. There's a park full of ladies. He went like this. Like Yosef used to walk in Mitzrayim, like this, with his head on the floor. He went through and did not look. If we find a guy like this today, everybody would stand from morning to night online to get a bracha from him. Did you saw my Rebbe? He walked through the forest with all the ladies over there and never looked at one of them. That's a holy guy. Watch his eyes. Everybody would agree. What does the Gemara say? Rasha is wicked. It's not righteous. He's wicked. Why? He didn't look. The fact that he did not look is going to be rewarded for it. No, no problem. You get rewarded for everything good you do. But the problem started before. How did he dare to go into that path? Knowing there are ladies over there. Maybe I couldn't hold my desire and look at one of them. And that would be the end of it. So this is what the Gemara says. Religious people go to the beach. Fourth and July, weekend, Rabbi. The Rambam rides and the holidays to put police in the parks. To make sure, to make complete separation between the men and the ladies. Complete separation. To put police in a park. Why? The people cannot control their desires. You have to help them. Many of us want to drive very fast in the highway. What makes us slow down? Police. They help to save our life. They don't do it to save our life. They do it to steal our money. The government send them to steal our money. It's all corrupted. But they come to steal our money and eventually some of our lives are getting saved. What makes us slow down? We know the police is there. Why are we afraid to do all kinds of things? We know the police is there. <laughs> the guy will call the police unfinished. Police come, they put the handcuffs on me, the whole world would see, it. the neighbors. The people are afraid. That's what keeps us functioning a little bit correctly. Without police, that's going to happen. Going to the beach, I? In the morning, I went to yeshiva. In the afternoon, you see him in the beach with a baseball hat. Very nice. And then people wonder why every minute there's a new cancer patient. Every minute. You check the statistic what's going on every hour I get a new email pray for this, pray for this boy, pray for this girl pray for this woman, pray for that man a boy yesterday was found dead in Muncie a, a, a boy of a rabbi, 17 years old dead next to the train tragedy after tragedy and people don't understand people forgot that the Torah says in few places that the biggest tragedies in the time of the Torah happened when the men, when the Jewish men, went to look at the ladies. Like B'not Moab, Bilam, they, they hired, Balak hired Bilam to curse the Jewish nation. Hashem warned him, no, you cannot curse them, I don't allow. In the end he told him, you know what, since God is not allowing me to curse his nation, I'll give, I'll give you a hint, and advice. Put your beautiful goyot on the street, B'not Moab, you know, to smile to the Jews. Hi, Yossi. Hi, Itzik. Hi, Avi. That's, that's all. And they'll already make the scenes, and Hashem will destroy them. 24,000 people died immediately. Why? They went to look at the girls. And I remember, this is girls that didn't dare to dress 1% of the girls today. Imagine today, when the girls go and make the scene, what's going to be. This is what's going on. Every tragedy that came to us, most of them came because of this. No modesty. No respect to our dignity. Women that are not modest. Men that is not modest. Making scenes, Cheating. Doing all these things. The Torah say, if a man went to a war, and he fell in love with a goya, and he can't control himself. That's it. He's going to make the scene. So Hashem permitted him in a war. Why? If he won't do it in a war, it's going to be a disaster. If he has to punish him in a war, everybody will die with him. Because if you're friend die next to you, then everybody else gets scared. So Hashem say, okay, you want, you can convert her and, and marry her, but you should know what comes right after Ben Sorer V'more. Blessing with your children you will never have. Torah says, okay, you, you want to surrender to your evil inclination, you want that, con- that convert, fine. What kids are you going to have Shemirachem. Right after that, Parashat, Ben Sorer V'more, a boy that rebels against his God, against his parents. His parents has to turn him into the Jewish court to execute him. Better he'll die young with a little bit sins, then he will grow up and become Adolf Hitler. Kill him now, before it's too late. That's what they say in the Torah. Where? Right after sex crimes. Always. They bring the biggest tragedies. All the hurricanes, all the problems that go South Carolina, San Francisco Thailand, all these beaches, places, tsunamis I think it's coincidence, two things No morality No modesty And idol worshipping Haiti, all these places Everybody is naked there And worshipping idols, voodoo Those are the things that get Hashem the hangriest We have to be clever to learn from other people's stupidity Not to repeat their mistake for our own good and for our children's good. Okay, so we continue. The last thing in the second Mishnah is we should know there's a rule in the creation Mitzvah, Goreret Mitzvah, Goreret Avera. Mitzvah that you did opened you right away an opportunity for another Mitzvah. You did the second Mitzvah, the second Mitzvah opened you an opportunity for a third Mitzvah, and so forth and so on. It's up to you when you want to stop. then you get tired, you don't want to do the the roll is cut you did 6, 7, 10 700, whatever you did once you stop the momentum stops right there same thing with the sins you made one sin right away the evil inclination the satan is attacking you right away with another temptation another test, another trap one trap leads to another it's like a person takes one bite from a forbidden steak Ah, it's delicious. Right away, what happened to him? I want already the second one. It's called Avera Goreret Avera. You you spoke Lashonara about one person. A minute later, you go on the street, you have an opportunity, a girl comes, something happened. you make a scene with a girl, next thing right away, something else. Why? One thing leads to another. You go on a momentum, positive, it's positive. Negative, it's negative, that's how it is. Then the third Mishnah, Benazai, continue with what Ben Azai says. Who are your mere? Alteibazle choladam. Never disrespect anyone. Never. Don't look at people and disrespect them. Jew, non-Jew, male, female, smart, foolish, rich, poor, uh, uh, you know, handicapped, whatever the case may be. Never get to a situation that you disrespect people. Always respect every human being mafliq maflig theholder what does it mean? Maflig means to go to go too far to go too far, which means don 't not only don't disrespect people, not never disrespect anything in a creation, even a bargain, insects say yeah, why do we need this here you kill it or anything that is ah, What do I need this one a plastic car. put it in the garbage. people get to. It's called in Ibu Mezal disrespect. They don't hold off anything, and later it becomes worse and worse and worse until you find spoiled kids. You give them hundreds of dollars' toys. They play once one hour, and the next thing you find it in a garbage on the street. Why they are like this? Because their parents raised them like this. They disrespect. You buy them the nicest bike. The next day you find the bike in the middle of the highway somewhere. They don't care. They go somewhere. It's hot. They don't want to go. They bring the bike back. They leave it over there, $200. My father is rich, no problem. What happens if one day they grow up and they won't have the money that they had? Now you're going to have a Prozac-addicted patient. He needs to live on a Prozac. Why? He cannot handle life. It's anti-depression. Why? He grew up like a prince or a princess, and now she's on her own. She finally met her talmi Chacham. They have a little apartment. They have a lousy car. It's not the beautiful mansion that she grew up in. She doesn't want this. No, 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 give me a cat, I can't. I, I, I'm not used to this. You know, one guy came to, the Shiduch, to meet the father of his future bride. So he came to him in his beautiful house. He says to the guy, what are you doing? He says, I'm learning full day Shiva. He says, oh, what are you planning to make parnassah?" He says, I'm not planning. I'm going to continue to learn. So how are you going to afford an apartment for my daughter? He Hashem yazo. He says, how are you going to have a car to drive around? Hashem yazo. He says, you're going to have money to pay the electric bill. How are you going to afford it? He says, Hashem yazo. Everything, Hashem yazo. Then he screams, Rivka! I didn't know my name is Hashem. Hashem <laughs> Yazoo you are wealthy already you pay me for all that you know <laughs> right next to where I live there's a very big rav big Talmit Chacham the shul almost next to my house maybe five steps from my house there's a big shul and the rav over there is one of the better Ashkenazi rabbis in America he's a great speaker great speaker and, and not only that he's a great speaker he's really a person that connects to Hashem Express with no obstacle in between. Mahmash expressed, you should see the way he walked, the way he talked. Every move that he makes. you see, he's not in this world. Mahmash, the way he prayed, completely out of this world. Mar-a-ash. See, You see, you see, it's a living example, how a Jew is supposed to be. So when he was uh, 20 or whatever, 19, when he was about to meet his wife and get married, they sent him to a gvir. Gvir means, in a religious world, a wealthy man. Unfortunately, in this lousy world that we live in, the rich people have the power to get to their daughters the best Talmidei by offering them a lot of money that they can sit and learn Torah. The kids, once to marry them, they agree because they know I'm not gonna have to worry about Parnassah, making a living. I'm gonna have to sit 23rd years and learn Torah. For me, it's worth it. Even if the girl is not the most beautiful one, she may be not be the best righteous girl around, but the fact that the father committed to all the expenses already is a very great advantage. So he went to meet a wealthy guy for his daughter. The guy asked him, what are you planning to do? He said, to learn all my life. He said to him, you, you want to make any efforts to make a Tarnassah, something? Maybe you teach, maybe you will be a sofer, write O. something, make a living. I'll help you, it's not that I won't help you. But do you want to do something? He said, absolutely not. I don't want to waste one minute of my life about nonsense. I only want to do Torah and Torah and Torah all the time. So he said, okay, I'll get back to you. He goes to his friend, two rich guys, he says, so that's chutzpah, guy. What the nerve this guy has. In my face he tells me I'm going to live off your money all my life. What do I want to do? Learn Torah all my life. So the other guy told him, That's what he told you? Who is he? So I told him the name. The next day he ran to the guy He said, Remember what you asked for the guy yesterday? I'll give you everything. Marry my daughter. Who is she? Here is she. You like her? Yeah, beautiful. No problem. Got married to him. And this guy, this guy, not only supported him, he gives him a lot of money to give out to Tzedakah He made him in charge of his master money, a wealthy guy. So all the 20% from his income, he puts in a fund, and people, for every morning after the, the, the Shachrit prayer, there's a line of 20 people standing by his office in a shul, and he gives each one of them 100, 150, 50, each one, every day, like this. And sometimes I once asked, oh, where does he have all this money to give? this? said, no, it's not from him, from his father-in-law. And from that, I learned the whole story. How he got that father-in-law. So the other one, today when you see every Shabbos almost a thousand people come to hear him, they walk two hours in the hottest weather like today, two hours just to hear an hour lecture from him. What do you think happened in his heart, the fool? That he went to tell his friend and his friend went and grabbed such such a diamond. The other one eats his heart. What was the big deal for him to give him X amount of money every month? you think it was a big deal for him? But sometimes the wealthy people, they don't have the merit. Even if they want to finally give something, the satan says, Hey, you give it to the, those who sit and learn Torah. No, come, come, we have something for you. Give it to a hospital. And he feels so great. Wow, I donate money to the hospital. When he dies, they show him that this hospital saved a 1,000 Arab terrorists from the Hamas that was treated over there. And they killed a 1,000 Jews. With his money, they saved this terrorist in that hospital. Why? The hospital has to take care of everyone. They cannot tell the patients. We the Israelis go and fight against these terrorists. They shoot at them, and then they pick them up and bring them to Israel to take care of them. Can you understand what's happening? That's what's happening. Every Arab terrorist that needs a hospital, almost all of them, they bring to Israel to take care of them. Why? Who just shot him? The soldiers are fighting against these terrorists. They come to attack, the soldiers kill him, they take him with a helicopter to Israeli hospital, they take care of him save his life, and the taxpayers of Israel have to pay $25,000 an hour for the helicopter to take this murderer monster that came to murder kids. And he got shot, so now we have to take him to take care of him. You understand? That's the that's the world we live in. What can you do? That's the world. Give respect to every person. We're almost done. Time is running out, five more minutes. So why? Because you never know when you're gonna need that person. Today this person is nothing. It is respecting. Tomorrow is gonna be somebody big. You know, they said about uh Truman, Truman, Harry Truman, president, 60, 70 years ago, 50, 60 years ago, the United States president. So he was living next to two Jews, husband and wife, and they used him as a Shabbos goy. Whenever they needed to turn something, to move something, they called him. It was Harry, the boy. But they were so nice to him that he fell in love with him. Later when he became the president, they vote if to open the border in the United States to all the Holocaust survivors. And he had great impression from this couple. And he motivated everyone in Congress to agree. So I read it in one of the stories, in one of the books, there had the whole story of this couple, where it used to be, how things that they used to tell him and things that he used to ask. The relationship between Harry the boy, that nobody ever dreamed that one day he's going to be the president of the United States, and they treating that boy so nice, eventually this couple is benefiting, is earning all the life saving of more than 100,000 Jews that came here after the war, and many of them were rabbis that opened Yeshivot. They have a piece in each one. What? Thanks to the Kiddush Hashem they made next to Harry the boy. Imagine they said, ah, "This this boy. What you giving him so much respect?" You never know. One day you can, your life can be depend on that person, or not you, another Jew. People don't understand. I once told the story about Rav Yaakov Kaminetsky and his wife. They almost got killed because of a thief. Rav Yaakov Kaminetsky was one of the important rabbis in America in the last hundred years. He had thousands of students. All the important Ashkenazi rabbinim in America, many of them are his students. And when he was a Yaakov, Yaakov, a young man with his wife, newly married, they went to a town in Europe and it was a freezing, snowing day, rain, snow, freezing wind, and the people had to walk in those days and they saw that it became night, they won't make it. So they looked for a house of a Jewish person to sleep in his house. So they saw a mezuzah in a nice beautiful house. So they knock on the door The rich guy opened the door He we said, we're looking for a place to sleep He no, I'm sorry, I cannot let you sleep He said, no, only, only one now We don't want anything, just a bed Sleep, five in the morning, we get up, we leave No, I cannot let you in They beg him ten, fifteen minutes I'm with my wife, we'll freeze to death I'm sorry, you're not. I'm not letting you in In the end, after begging him He allowed them to stay on the side of the house Under the shed there There's a cover from the rain That they won't get wet all night they were standing, uh, sitting outside, freezing, Then they left in the morning. Then in Shabbat, the next day was Shabbat, he sees on Shabbat this uh, school guy, the rabbi of the shul calls him and gives him the best aliyah on Shabbat morning. So this guy didn't let us in. They give him so much respect here in the shul. I, ha- I cannot sit and not do anything about it. He runs to the rabbi, he calls the rabbi to the side. This man is a murderer. How huh? do you give him aliyah in <laughs> the he didn't let, we were freezing today, he didn't let us in the house what are you? You know, So I said, Rabbi, relax, relax After the darkening I'll explain to you what happened By the end of the prayer, the rabbi told him A night before you showed up, there was the same story It was still raining and all that And one guy on the way here, knocked on his door And he let him in, he slept there And he stole all his stuff from his house And disappeared in the middle of the night so he swore to me, morning before you came, that he doesn't open his door to any strangers anymore. Imam made a vow. But he is the guy that donated all this building. And he used to be the number one person in hospitality in this town. Everyone who needed a place automatically we send it to him. Until that case happened. Why well, I'm telling you this story. The thief that stole some of his silver or money, what does he think? I stole $20,000, so what sins did I make? I stole $20,000, I'm guilty, I have to return $40,000, that's my punishment. And I made, I, I, I was ungrateful, the person opened his home, he made me sleep there and I was ungrateful to him, so two sins I made from the Torah. He doesn't know that he almost murdered a hundred thousand scholars of yeshiva. How? If Chaz Shalom Yaakov Kaminecki would die from from, uh, long uh, infection or, you know, freezing weather like this, a person can die, especially eight years ago. If he would die, or him and his wife together would die, all these students that you see today in America, all these big rabbis wouldn't be here. So the thief will be judged by Hashem for every one of them, not for the $20,000 that he stole, or or whatever it was. Being a thief, you have no idea how far he can get. Same thing, a person comes and asks for tzedakah, and one day they catch him that he goes to the casino with his money. It's not only stealing the tzedakah and going to the casino, that's one sin. The chilul Hashem is another sin. There's one major sin is that the rich guy will never give anymore. After something like this, he gave him money all the time, and one day he found out that he took the money and went to gamble. What do you think is going to happen to him? The Satan is going to come and say, "You fool, why you trust them? Don't give anymore." And from now on, he give a dollar. He give. So all the poor people who really need, they don't get. Whose fault it is? That one, that cook. That's what happened everywhere you go. Ah, I got burned, I got burned, with this crook, with that crook, I gave and they didn't do. You know, you heard what happened last week here in America. They put one one crook in jail for three and a half years. He took money from a woman, $35,000, promised her a Sefer Torah, one famous chazan, and never delivered. She went and fought with him in court and they put him in jail for three years, something like that. Yeah, most of these cases nobody goes to court They give up They find out that the crook took away their money And they do nothing it's a, it's a common problem Okay, the last Mishnah for today We have two more minutes so we'll do it Rabbi Levitas Ish fal Omer Make sure you always be very humble Never try to be proud Always down to earth Why? Remember who is going to eat you in the end of your life. Who? The worms. You're going to be thrown inside the, the sand. Who are you, the Mr. Big Show-off? Remember how your end is going to be right away. You don't have any desire to be a, a, a big shot. Rabbi Yohanan ben Broka says, <laughs> "Kol המחלל Shem שמיים Baseter נפריים ממנו Bagalui." Everyone who makes Chilul HaShem in hidden rooms, when HaShem will punish him, he will be open to everyone, in public. What does it mean? How can you do Chilul HaShem in hidden rooms? Chilul HaShem is in front of people. When they see you with a yamaka and you curse, that's Chilul HaShem. When they catch you with the yamaka stealing from the supermarket, that's Chilul Hashem. When they put you on television that you don't supply heat to your tenants, they go in and they took you to court, and now everybody in America sees you with the beard and strimel, you sit and eat your kugel on Shabbat, and your Puerto Ricans tenants are freezing on Shabbat. Everybody in America hates juice because of you. That's called Chilul Hashem. But if you did it in your bedroom, who knows? So the answer is... Everything that a person is hiding and doing, which supposedly if he would do it in front of people would be a disaster, it would be a big embarrassment, that's called Chilul Hashem Baseter. Imagine if they had a candy camera, what a disaster it would be. That's called Chilul Hashem Baseter. Even though nobody saw, the potential that if somebody would see and tell the world what you just did in hidden rooms, it would be such a disaster, that's called Mechaled Shem What's going to be the punishment when Hashem will reveal you to the world and make sure everybody will know about what you did. It won't be one person caught you in a room and he keeps it between you and him. Okay, okay, I promise I won't tell anyone, no. When you're going to be revealed to the world, Hashem will make sure everybody knows. Which means, it's not only if you did it on purpose. Even if you're not so careful and accidentally it happened, it's still Chilul Hashem. When Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock, what was the problem? Hashem told him, Talk to the rock. Talk to the rock, and the waters will come out. And Moshe came to the rock and he spoke. The water didn't come out. After a few words that Moshe says so that nothing is happening, he hit the rock and the water came out. What's the big deal? For that, he did not enter the land. That's one of the five sins that Moshe made in his whole life, if you can call it a sin. And what, what's the, what was the problem here? Why Moshe got punished so much that he hit the rock? He spoke to the rock. he didn't help. So he hit the rock. What happened? The problem is that Datan and Aviram, the two liberal Jews, we have many of them today in America and in Israel. It's called liberal Jews. They do everything to help the enemies of Israel against Israel. Everything they can. If he's a judge in a court, in a Supreme Court, in a court in Israel, if he's in the army, if he's in a newspaper, if he's in the media. Always against the Jews. Never towards Israel. They're always with the enemies. Help them, give them. Why are you tough with them? What do you mean? This is terrorists that come to murder kids. We've got to protect ourselves. No, you have to be human. We cannot be like them. That's called, in America, liberal Jews. So there used to be a few of them already in the Exodus of Egypt. Torah said, Datan and Aviram. Two wicked people that makes a lot of problems to Moshe. They came to the people and say, Ha, ah, big deal. Moshe said that soon he's going to get us water from this rock. He's a shepherd. Every day goes with the sheep here for years. He knows every rock which one has a spring water underneath. So when he's going to do something with his rock, he knows that this rock has a spring. Let's see him getting us water from this rock. Not from that rock that he said. Let's see you giving us water from here. Now Moshe thinking, Hashem told me speak to this rock. But if I speak to this rock, they already ruined the magic. The, the miracle, is, it's not effective. <laughs> they convince everyone that this rock, it's a trick. For me, for Hashem it's no problem He can get water from this rock you can get water from this rock I'm sure he will understand me That I did not go to that rock And I went to this rock Why? Because I want everybody to see the greatness of Hashem He's trying to help Hashem Not to go against Hashem But the one minute That Moshe spoke to the rock And water did not come They were laughing, all of them on the floor All the wicked people that came With them, all the gang of these liberal Jews that goes against the leader as usual they were laughing, I see, you see, I told you so when he was angry, he hit the rock tons of water came out, they all were silent they got shocked, because they saw they made a mistake so it was a happy end good, happy end, no, like in a movie, There's always a happy end but the one minute, not intentional Khilur Hashem made Moshe Rabbeinu not enter the land. 515 prayers with tears didn't help him. Why? Disgrace the name of Hashem. It's a very big, horrible sin. It's not just another sin. When people see what you did and because of that they disrespect Hashem or the religion, it's a horrible thing. And that minute, Moshe did not have forgiveness for it. That's what it he means here in the Mishnah. When you make a chidul HaShem, even not intentional, in a hidden room, not intentional, when it comes out, it's a disaster. Bezrat HaShem, we'll see you next Monday, right? Next Monday? Thank you very much for coming. Good night.